Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. It's time for another bonus edition of the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, and we have the football by numbers, jersey number 44. Historian Josie Emba joins us once again to go through the greatest players that wear the number 44, coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we're podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron, one day at a time. So with Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff, supplying us with their tunes. Let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com, and welcome once again to the Pigpen. For tonight, we have another great football by numbers bonus edition of the pigskin daily history dispatch and joining us for the jersey number 44 is the best that ever wore that jersey number is once again our friend historian fellow podcaster author joe ziemba joe ziemba welcome to the pig pen thank you darren always enjoy this this is a lively lively set of hours or minutes where we can talk about some of the guys that maybe have been forgotten And with your wonderful program of recognizing players who are a specific number, I'm learning more than I ever thought. So thank you for the opportunity again. Oh, I'm learning too. I hope uh, the listeners are getting the same uh, deal that you and I are, because it is really an interesting feat to do this, to go through all these players. Uh, You really get to see a lot more than you would uh, any other way that I can think of. So uh, we thank you for joining us here again. Uh, I guess uh, we start off sort of where we always do, and we it's with the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and they have about a dozen different gentlemen that are in the Hall of Fame that they say wore the number 44, and uh, some of them didn't wear it for very long. Uh, we'll, we'll mention them, uh, but there are others that uh, wore it for quite a bit of time, and we'll talk quite a bit about them. Uh, and just go through them real quick here. Uh, first of all, we had uh, Ray Flaherty that wore the number 44. I'm not sure which year. Uh, but you know, Ray definitely went in as, as a coach, I believe, as a contributor in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, but he did play. Uh, John Riggins, um, Dick LeBeau, Floyd Little, Bobby Dillon, Leroy Kelly, Bruiser Kennard, I just love that name, Arnie <laughs> Weinmeister, Dave Casper, Bill Dudley, Ernie Nevers, and Steve Owen. I mean, some great players on this list in the Pro Football Hall of Fame that were the number 44. We have quite the list tonight, and and maybe I thought, Darren, that those Hall of Famers who only played one or two years with that jersey, not that we're going to forget them, but maybe concentrate on the others who wore 44 for several years or more, and then there's a great deal of quality folks that uh, wore that number who are not in the Hall of Fame, but maybe someday they'll get that recognition, and we can talk about them tonight as well. Okay, so I guess the 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 people that we're saying that we probably won't talk too much that we just mentioned on a hall of fame list is uh, bruiser Kennard, uh, Arnie Weinmeister, 
Dave Casper, Bill Dudley, Ernie Nevers, Steve Owen, and of course, uh, Coach Ray Flaherty. We probably won't talk much about them because they only wore the, the jersey for one or two years during their career. Uh, but there are still five Hall of Famers that had uh, quite a bit of uh, time in the number 44. And so we'll focus on them. And like Joe says, we have quite a few uh, individuals that are not in the Hall of Fame yet, as I like to say, but uh, had some substantial years in the number 44 and some substantial careers. And we want to really focus in on those folks. Yeah, there's so many neat players. In fact, I want to bring one up even before we talk about the Hall of Famers. Okay. A punter. How about that? We oh. never talk about punters. You're, you're always digging for those kickers and punters. Yeah, we got to give them some love. So even before we talk about the Hall of Famers, a uh, person named Jarrell Wilson, who played with, with Kansas City his entire career, except the final year with the Patriots, 16 years in the league. And for 15 of those years, he wore number 44. And the reason I bring him up is uh, – a gentleman named Frank Hank Stram, who we all know, had a great quote about Mr. Wilson's punting efforts. He said, I'm prejudiced, but he's the best punter I've ever saw. He'll go down in history as the best kicker in the NFL. Seven times all pro, three times in the Pro Bowl, won a Super Bowl, played in an incredible 217 games. And he was uh, named to the Hall of Fame's All-70s Decade Team. So he uh, led the league five times in the league in punts and punting average. And one of our better nicknames we've encountered recently, Thunderfoot. So Jarrell Wilson, uh, who played in the league from 63 to 78, I might put him up there as one of my uh, recommendations for our top 10 tonight. Okay. I think he's definitely worth the consideration. I uh, will put him on here and take a look at him because I know we have some position players, uh, a lot of them to talk about, but it will definitely I, I have him marked and we'll come back and check him out uh, near the end here. Fair enough. Yeah. He was quite an amazing player for, for a, a puncher as some of the other players would say. So uh, it's nice that we can give him a, a little bit of recognition today. Most definitely. Most definitely. Okay. Uh, where would you, do you want to go into our hall of famers that we do want to talk about since that's yeah, sort of traditionally we do what that. we do. I thought one of the players from the hall of fame, we might talk about as a, a rugged fullback, 6'2", 230 pounds, John Riggins played for the jets, but probably best known with Washington. Again, a, a guy who had an interesting career and in that two of his best years ever were at the tail end of his career when he was, in his mid-30s, he had the uh, best yardage mark, and he led the league in rushing attempts uh, in 82. And then he led the league in touchdowns in 83 and 84. And he was 35 years old in 1984. So uh, <laughs> quite a consistent performer, one with a, a lot of determination, very consistent when you look at the 1,000 yards uh, seasons he had. Ended up with over 11,000 yards in his career and uh, 104 touchdowns. That's just amazing what, what he did. And that's what's sitting out the 1980 season because of a, a contract dispute. And that led to a little bit of a, a friction with a, a coach, <laughs> Joe Gibbs. And after Riggins had sat out and uh, 
Joe Gibbs traveled to Kansas to try and make some kind of offering to get Riggins back. And Gibbs recalled that he had a camouflage outfit on. He had been hunting, him and a buddy. He had a beer can in his hand. It was 10 in the morning, and he's meeting his coach for the first time. And I'm thinking, oh, sarcastically, this guy really impresses me. But I went in there, and halfway through the conversation, he says, you know, you really need to get me back there, Joe. I'll make you famous. I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, he's an egomaniac. I'll get him back, and then I'll trade him. I'm not putting up with any fruitcake. So Gibbs flies back to Washington, and two, two days later, he says, Riggins called me and says, hey, Joe, I made up my mind. I'm going to come back and play next season. I thought it was great. I've got him back, and then I'll trade that sucker. But then he says, there's only one thing I want in my contract. I said, what was it? He says, a no-trade clause. So that's how Riggins <laughs> got back to the Redskins way back when. Hall of Famer from 1992 and uh, MVP at Super Bowl 17 when he gained 166 yards and a great nickname of Diesel. Yeah, I mean, who can forget uh, him? He he was a real hard runner, and especially with those Redskins errors that you're talking about with Gibbs. Uh, you know, he he really powered their offense, and I think the Diesel was a very appropriate name for him. That's for sure. No, it sure was. You know, and another another running back that we could talk about a little bit is uh, Floyd Little. And Floyd played with his entire career with Denver. He was the first Bronco to win a rushing title in 1970 in the AFC. He gained 901 yards. And then he was also the first Bronco to gain over 1,000 yards, which he did in 1971. So uh, quite a career with the Broncos, led the league in rushing and yards and touchdowns and average uh, a couple, three times. An unusual statistic that when he uh, was the first, I think, to rush for lead the league in rushing for a last place team, and he was the smallest back in stature. He was 5'10", 196, Smallest back to lead the NFC or NFL in rushing since World War II when he did so back in the early 70s. So uh, Floyd Little, again, a remarkable career. Nickname was the franchise. So perhaps we consider can consider him for one of our, our top 10. We're in the number 44 tonight. Yeah, mo- most definitely. And he uh, was born in the town where football was uh, sort of created, you know, Walter Camp stomping grounds of uh, New Haven, Connecticut, you know, oh, home of yeah. Yale. So, and born on the 4th of July too. You know, Doesn't so, get uh, any better than that. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think uh, definitely, I, I'm just going to go back to it and say, uh, I think, you know, R- Riggins probably ought to be on our list too. Uh, since you mentioned him, if that's okay with you, we'll put the Riggins in. Is, little yeah. on. So I think definitely outstanding running backs. All right. Um, so they will take our first two spots. Uh, which direction would you like to go to next, Joe? Yeah, maybe we can talk about the defensive backs on our list from the Hall of Fame and a couple of interesting items about Bobby Dillon first, then maybe Bruce Taylor. Uh, Bobby Dillon played from 52 through 59, led the league in 56 and yards off of interceptions. So he was eight years, his entire career with the Packers, wearing number 44, which I liked, four times a pro bowler. And he was also uh, named to the second all 1950s decade team. But the thing I found out about him was truly amazing that as a kid, he was in an accident and lost an eye. 
So he played his entire football career with a glass eye, getting 52 interceptions, which is still a Green Bay Packers record, and uh, therefore elected to the Green Bay Hall of Fame in 74. And he's in the recent class that was inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But Bobby Dillon, just 6'1 and 180, played his career with one eye, which is truly, truly amazing. Yeah, especially to have 52 interceptions. That, that's just remarkable. You figure the eyes are probably one of the most important uh, uh, sensories uh, for, for a defensive back to get that many interceptions. So that's, oh, that's really absolutely. remarkable. Wow. Very interesting. And we had another defensive back who also wore number 44 proudly, uh, Bruce Taylor. Led the NFC in punt returns in 71 with 34 in 1970. Led the league in punt return yards with 516. And when he broke in in 1970 with San Francisco, when he spent his entire career with them, he was the defensive rookie of the year. So he won several rookie of the year awards in 1970, but uh, the league recognized him as the defensive rookie of the year. Had a great, great career after football. He owned 18 Burger Kings. So I don't know how many guys owned 18 Burger Kings. So we congratulate <laughs> Bruce Taylor for that. A successful on and off the field. Yeah, that very, that's pretty interesting to uh, have that many franchise of one franchise. You know, he must uh, really like the, uh, the Whopper maybe, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always one go for the onion weaknesses. rings. <laughs> And All we right. have one other uh, defensive back from our Fall of Famers list, uh, Dick LeBeau, and he played with the Lions his entire career, which went from 1959 through 1972, ended up with 62 career interceptions. He was on the all-1960s decade team and the second team, three-time Pro Bowler, and he's still 10th in history in the NFL with those 62 interceptions. So. He was a more recent inductee, I believe, into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but one we can also consider for our top 10 tonight. Yeah, uh, definitely. And as a matter of fact, okay, you just mentioned, uh, you know, those three defensive backs, you know, LeBeau, uh, Dylan, and Taylor. And I'm, I'm thinking, um, you know, probably LeBeau and uh, Dylan with the, those big numbers on those interceptions, uh, you know, especially, you know, Dylan with <laughs> – 52 interceptions with the one eye. I think yeah. those are pretty substantial. I think they uh, deserve to go on the list right now, if that's okay with you, don't you? Let's do that. Yeah. Okay. Maybe uh, Mr. Taylor will, will look at the end again. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. know if he quite doesn't have quite those numbers, uh, but we'll, we'll check him out again near the end. Okay. Um, would you like to uh, speak on uh, our, I guess our last hall of famer that we said had substantial years was Leroy Kelly with 10 seasons. wearing the number 44. Yeah. Again, spent all those years with Cleveland, six pro bowls, won an NFL title, uh, let the led the NFL in uh, rushing TDs uh, three times. And from 66 through 68, he had 15, 11 and 16 touchdowns, but also led the league in rushing twice in 67 and 68. And in that 68 season, he was pretty phenomenal, rushed for 1,239 yards, 16 touchdowns. And he also caught almost 300 yards in uh, receiving yards as well. So uh, when he retired back after 73, he was fourth all-time in the league in rushing. 
And he was third all-time in touchdown score with 74. So Leroy Kelly, another great career, six-time Pro Bowler, and won the Burt Bell Award, as we mentioned, in 1968 as the, uh, pretty much the player of the year in the league. Yeah, I, I think with uh, the credentials like that, you know, th- that many Pro Bowls, that many All-Pros, uh, hits that, that magic number, you know, going over 7,000 yards rushing in the NFL and over 70 touchdowns. I think that is uh, a pretty special running back because there's not too many have done that. And I think uh, Mr. Kelly also deserves to maybe take that fifth spot, if that's okay with you. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so we are halfway there, uh, and they're all our Hall of Famers. I just uh, – Review, we have uh, John Riggins, Dick LeBeau, Floyd Little, Bobby Dillon, and Leroy Kelly are our first five uh, number 44s on our top uh, 10 list. And I think we're going to have a, a tough time, a nice challenge picking the other five because there are several had wonderful careers, maybe just short of the Hall of Fame, but who wore that 44 proudly. And a lot of people obviously have worn that number over the years and some maybe only had a two or three year career in the NFL. And of course our standards are quite high here. Mm. We're not even letting hall of famers on our list of top tens for the number 44. <laughs> yeah. We're being awful picky tonight. That's for sure. <laughs> a lot of great names in there. Yeah. Do you have anybody in particular you would, you'd like to go to next? Is our- yeah. I have to do a little preference here. A Chicago Cardinal. Okay. Would be uh John David Crow broke in the league in 1958, played through 1968. He's a member of the NFL's all 1960s team. He came into the league very promising. He won the 1957 Heisman Trophy Award. Bear Bryant, the revered coach from Alabama and I believe Texas A&M, he said in 1957, if John David Crow doesn't win the Heisman Trophy, they ought to stop giving it. One of the great quotes, but he uh, was superlative in running, receiving, and he did some passing as well as his career shows almost 5,000 yards rushing, uh, almost uh, 4,000 yards in receiving. And he also uh, uh, had some passing yards too, about 800 yards in his career. So he was all over the place. Member of the College Football Hall of Fame in 1976 and uh, player of the year in the league in 1957. Wait, he wasn't in the league yet, so I apologize for that one. I can't read my own writing sometimes. <laughs> oh, player of the year in college in 1957, but we're talking about pros. So, but John David Crow uh, played for the Cardinals when they went to St. Louis in 1960 and then went over to the 49ers for the last four years of his career, ending in 1968. Yeah, I've- Great, great uh, credentials there and everything. I think he's definitely one. I don't know that he uh, make cracks that list right now, but definitely somebody I think we want to talk about uh, near the end here. Uh, so I'll put a little mark by him. He's a very interesting player. Um, we did have several players who were, say, drafted as halfbacks, but maybe got hurt and became more of a receiver. And we're going to go way back to 1951, if we could, Darren. Sure. Um, name on the list may sound familiar. Familiar, Kyle wrote. He was a six-foot uh, end and halfback with the Giants. Played his entire career with them from '51 through '61. So he was the very first pick of the 1951 draft, a five times All-Pro, and a member of the 1956 NFL Championships too. 
He had a tough childhood. He lost his mother during World War II and also lost a brother on Iwo Jima. But he was the uh, captain of the Giants for eight years. But he had some interesting things off the field. There used to be a television show called To Tell the Truth, where they would ask questions of people and they'd try and fake you out, the panelists, whoever they were. And he was able to successfully... Uh, make the, the uh, panel think that he was an undercover police officer on appearance on To Tell the Truth. <laughs> but even more importantly for today's players, he was one of the first union organizers to get all players traded equally, no matter what, and served as the very first president of the uh, National Football League Players Association. When he retired, he led the uh, New York Giants in receptions with 300 all-time receiving yards, and touchdowns with 48. So uh, a great receiver as he kind of got hurt after his second year and switched almost uh, entirely 100% to being a receiver for the Giants. So he may he may uh, be one of our top 10 tonight. Kyle wrote back from the beginning in 1951. Okay. I will mark him down. And uh, who would you like to speak of next? Well, there's another guy back from uh, a little bit earlier in the 50s named Pete Retzlaff. And he uh, was an end and a half back, uh, did a little bit of both. He played his entire career with the Eagles, 11 years, five as an All-Pro, won an NFL title, and uh, led the NFL in receptions in 1958 with 56. He was also the winner of the Burt Bell Award for Player of the Year in 1965. He had a little bit of a hard road getting into the league. He was drafted by the Lions in 1953, couldn't make the team, and he spent two years in the Army, must have bulked up a little bit. But man, he really had a great career after that. Uh, led the league in 58 with 56 receptions, total about 7,400 yards in his career. Had a couple of great nicknames. One was Baron, the other was Pistol Pete. And we're talking about number 44 tonight, and his number 44 has been retired by the Eagles. Hmm. He also served as a president of the uh, Players Association after his playing career, I believe. Yeah, definitely another interesting uh, character that we want to talk about again. Yeah, you're finding some really good ones here, Joe. Uh, These are some real gems, and uh, I had no idea on the statistics of some of these guys. Yeah, there's some folks that, uh, you know, I know a couple of them I'm not real familiar with. You just uh, let me learn about a new player. So I thank you for that. Uh, hey, Darren, okay. I wanted to ask. Oh, excuse me. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was just going to ask you. I was going to ask you, do you know who had the largest thighs in the history of the National Football League? We uh, here at the Sports History Network try and uncover <laughs> stuff that no one's heard about. Oh God, if I was going to ask or if guess about it, I would say Earl Campbell, but he didn't wear 44, so it's probably the wrong answer. <laughs> well, the reason I like this is we're not number 44 tonight, and we have a guy who wore that throughout his career who also had 44-inch thighs. What a wow. coincidence. Yeah. And his name is Robert Newhouse, the human oh. bowling ball. Played oh, for yeah. Dallas his entire career beginning in 72. And he had a, a kind of an unusual body. In fact, his teammate, Charlie Walter said, or Water said that Robert was physically speaking, he didn't look like an NFL player. He was more like a chunk of granite. And 
he had uh, small shoes for a big guy. Well, he's 5'10". He said his weight was 209, but teammates said that could have fluctuated up and down by or up by about 40 pounds. And he wore a size 10 shoe with 7E width, which is kind of a triple double wide. And from looking it up, it said if you if you measure seven inches, that's how wide his foot was. So sure. he, his feet were, were so big uh, width-wise that he would go through three pairs of shoes at times in a normal pro game. So, again, here at the Sports History Network, we're telling you which guy goes through the most pair of shoes in one game. <laughs> he had a couple of firsts in his career. He was the first player ever to score a touchdown in Giants Stadium in 1976. And he was the first running back to ever throw a touchdown in the Super Bowl, which is Super Bowl 12, when he threw a 29-yard uh, scoring pass to Golden Richard. So there we have it for the human bowling ball. He carried about 5,000 yards in his career. I'm not sure if he'll make our top 10, but top 10 best nicknames, I think we're going to have to put him on there. I think so. Yeah, that's that's a definitely it's a very befitting uh, name for him, too, because I remember him playing uh, quite well. And he was a uh, real low center of gravity. I remember very tough tackle, it seemed like, for the, the defenders to knock down. So very uh, aptly named. Uh, as long as we're on running backs, um, what do you think about Chuck Foreman? Yeah, another name I remember is uh, Chuck, of course, Played with the uh, with the Vikings, so we know him well in the Midwest, except for his last year with the the Patriots in 1980. He was the uh, offensive rookie of the year in '73, and also on the second team of the All 1970s Decade Team. I thought his numbers would be bigger. He did have three thousand yard years, but he didn't really play that long. '73 through '80. Uh, gained about right around 6,000 yards in his career. So uh, a nice, a nice steady professional made the pro bowl five times though, which uh, I wasn't aware he made it that many times. Yeah. I, I, I was kind of surprised too. I thought he had, would have uh, more yards. I figured he'd be more in the seven, 8,000 yard range, yeah. but uh, yeah, you're right. This career sort of got uh, cut off a little bit. Of course he uh, had quite a few carries there. Uh, uh, he was almost 300 yards or 300 carries a season for about three seasons in a row, just shy of it, 75, 76, 77. So he was definitely the bell cow for the uh, Fran Tarkington-led uh, uh, Vikings back then. So maybe that sort of takes a wear and tear on his body, just couldn't make the the long career out of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, definitely he was an interesting one to, to talk about. Yes, yes. But I think he'll, like you say, he'll probably be on the – in outside looking in on this top 10 list. Cause there are some uh, guys with some better numbers, I think. And uh, speaking of that, uh, how, how about uh, John Harris? Have you uh, have anything on John Harris? Yeah, John, a, a good defensive back 1978, all rookie team played uh, his first several years from 78 through eight through 85 with Seattle. Then his last three years with Minnesota, again, another guy who must've been a dynamo on defense, 50 interceptions throughout his career, including 10 in 1981. So uh, he was, uh, came out of Arizona state, six foot two, 200 pounds. And just uh, looks like a very valuable performer because he, when he started the game, he finished the game, it looked like. So he didn't come off the field too much during his career. 
No, and one thing that, you know, I, I saw those numbers jump out. I remember the name and I remember him being uh, you know pretty good, but, you know, he had uh, 1981, he had 10 interceptions that season. And he, I don't show where he ever was in the Pro Bowl or an All-Pro. I and mean, you think with 10 interceptions, that would yeah. be pretty substantial. It must have been a lot of people uh, picking off passes that year or something in mm-hmm. the uh, the, that would have been the AFC for Seattle back then. Oh, yeah. yeah I couldn't find any all-pro years for him either. Interesting. But uh, yeah, pretty substantial number having 50 interceptions in you know, a double-digit year. But mm-hmm. uh, I think maybe uh, we'll put him under consideration at the end here. Yes. Okay. Uh, do you have anybody that you'd like to, to go to next? Oh, there's all sorts of good ones, but uh, we know people don't want to listen to me babble for a few hours, but <laughs> <laughs> we have a guy who was famous in college, had a good pro career, but was better known for being on the cover of Sports Illustrated than he was for his playing career, it appears. And that would be Mike Guman, G-U-M-A-N. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, Mike was on the Rams from 80 through 88. But in the 1979 Sugar Bowl, he was a a ball carrier who was just splattered by Barry Krause of uh, Alabama. Mike played for Penn State, and the photo appeared on the cover of Sports Illustrated. ESPN voted that number six on its all-time list of moments that define college football. But when he came to the pros, as I mentioned, with Rams – he started an 83 and 84, 13 games. Never had a whole lot of yards rushing after his first couple of years, but he stayed in the league, like I said, from 80 through 88. So probably not going to be a consideration for our top 10 tonight. But Mike, again, is one of those great stories of football that we always love to share. Well, hey, I'd love to hear that story about you know, him making Sports Illustrated for uh, yeah. you know, getting hit hard. That's uh... <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Didn't feel good for him, but uh, makes makes him famous. That's for sure. Mm. There is one one halfback who is quite quite well known as uh, one half of the Gold Dust Twins for the Green Bay Packers with Jim Grabowski, and that's Donnie Anderson. Came out of Texas Tech, played with the Packers from '66 through '71, then went over to St. Louis for the last three years of his career. So he had decent numbers. Um, Wore that number 44, uh, looks like just about every year in his pro career. But one thing that I found interesting about him, he was a two-time Super Bowl champ. He was also the punter for the Packers, and he and Vince Lombardi worked on a new concept where traditionally punters would kick it as far as they could and away from people and just get rid of it. And Danny Anderson is the one who is credited with originating hang time kicking as high as possible and enabling the, uh, the defense to get, get after the punt returner. People would say to the Packers, well, you know what? He only kicked at 36 yards for an average that year. That's not too good. And then Lombardi would say, yep, but they were only able to uh, return 13 punts for 22 yards in 1967 when they started doing that. And that makes a whole lot of sense. We'd see guys blasting the ball to the end zone, but then people have a, a chance to come back 15 or 20 yards with the, with the punt. But here they had absolutely no chance with the hang time. And so the NFL has uh, maneuvered its rules a little bit since that time, but Donnie Anderson's the guy, one of the gold dust twins with the great nickname of the golden Palomino who was able to uh, 
originate hang time on punting. Wow. So uh, Anderson and uh, Lombardi end up figuring out that you can uh, uh, out uh, kick your coverage. So, yeah. <laughs> Now, those are some great uh, tidbits. You really dug hard this week. Oh, <laughs> you're finding, we you're finding some dandies here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm not sure that he will make make our list, but uh, definitely an interesting story. And that's what we love to hear. Uh, do you, how about, do you have some other folks that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, you know, another running back uh, we could talk about, Ahmad Bradshaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in the league from 2007 to 2015, more of our, one of our recent players we're discussing, a two-time Super Bowl champ with the Giants and finished his career with Indiana. Uh, but he was the leading rusher in, in both Super Bowls he played in. So he's one of only eight people to do so. Uh, that is to be the leading rusher in a Super Bowl twice. Hmm. He had 2,000-yard seasons in 2010 and 2012. His career finished just under 5,000 yards after 2015. So might not be enough to get him into our top 10 tonight, but really an interesting statistic that he came to shine when the spotlight was brightest in the Super Bowl. Yeah. He was uh, quite the uh, change of pace back. I know early in his career, because I think the giants had Brandon Jacobs then. So he was sort of the lightning to Jacobs thunder and uh, they, they were quite a complimentary pair in the backfield for the giants. All right. Another one more halfback I thought we would talk about. Actually, a fullback um, would be Bob Christian from Northwestern, who played for the Bears and then finished up with the uh, Carolina and the Falcons. He was a 12th round pick, but lasted 10 years in the league. And his career totals are not all that impressive. Uh, 2,048 yards. But the fact that he was in the league that long, and of course, wearing number 44, which we like. Um, and his post-career, again, was interesting. He's now a pilot. He always wanted to be a pilot. And so even though he didn't gain much on the ground, he certainly is gaining it now in the air, Darren. <laughs> Getting those uh, frequent flyer miles, that's for sure. That's right. Uh, I had one that was kind of an interesting uh, guy, and we recognize him from those uh, 1980s 49ers team, but Tom Rathman, who uh, played running back. Oh, and right, was, yeah. And he was an interesting guy because I think he was mainly, if I remember right, you know, they haven't done his running back, but I think he was a lot of, played a lot of fullback and did a lot of blocking. Uh, but he ended up having uh, just over 2000 yards, rushing 26 touchdowns, but he also had 2,600 yards receiving in that West coast offense with another eight touchdowns. And it was a you know, two super bowls, uh, to his uh, name, two Super Bowl championships to his name when he was on a team. Uh, probably won't make this list, but definitely uh, one that people recognize from uh, remembering the 1980s uh, 49ers mm-hmm. teams. Dallas Clark. I know I have him. Oh, here right. Yeah. Yeah. Da- Dallas Clark was a you know tight end. I don't believe he's playing anymore. It was fairly recent. Uh, yeah. But he uh, came in uh, 2003 with the Colts. Uh, 2013 was his last season with the Baltimore Ravens. And you know, he also played for Tampa Bay in between there. And he uh, had an interesting career. He had uh, 5,600 yards receiving, 53 touchdowns from the tight end position, uh, was in a Pro Bowl, made all pro one year, and won a Super Bowl uh, with those Colts, uh, with Peyton Manning. And he was uh, sort of that uh, that. that guy that uh, Peyton could always count on and when uh, everybody else was covered, he'd always go down to his big tight end. 
he had that phenomenal year in 2009 when he, he caught 100 passes for 1,106 yards. And, and looking, looking at his statistics, it found out that was only the second time in history that a tight end had, was able to catch 100 uh, passes in a year. I thought that was pretty amazing. Yeah, because you don't think of a tight end as being thrown to that much. But as you said, he had a quarterback who was looking for him. Yeah, I wonder uh, who who could have been the other one. Could maybe Gonzalez, possibly. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, yeah. I think it probably have to be somebody like Tony Gonzalez or, or someone like that. But uh, maybe Sterling Sharp or something. hey, maybe it was Mike Didka. Maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Hallis would let them put up a hundred passes in your tight end. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you have anybody else that you'd like to put under consideration? Yeah, I think the, we... only, the last one I have is a safety. Uh, Dave okay. Weimer from Notre Dame left this earth way too early at the age of 34, made one Pro Bowl um, during his time with New Orleans and then two years with San Francisco from 1980 through 1992. So, again, his, his uh, numbers were, were pretty good, though, 48 career interceptions for 536 yards. So uh, those interceptions, again, kind of stand out, indicating, again, a very consistent performer. And I uh, noticed also that when he passed away, that there was a Disney movie named A Saintly Switch, which was dedicated to him after he passed away. So um, hmm. that's Dave Wimmer, the safety. Hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. Is there anybody else we want to talk about? Till we, because we got five more gentlemen and we have a, pretty good list of uh, people to consider for those five positions. I noticed, uh, like I said earlier, that a lot of the players who wore the number didn't play that long, which is really not that fault, their fault, but uh, we try and find some from different eras of spotlight uh, to see if they might be appropriate for our list tonight. So uh, I think we've got a, a good bunch to choose from. I, I agree. So let's, let's uh, see if I, uh, I have these names right that we said we wanted to come back and talk about. Um, we had uh, Gerald Wilson, uh, the punter that we you talked about earlier, and he had definitely had some good credentials that you gave us. Um, Bruce Taylor, uh, Pete uh, Retzlaff, John David Crow, uh, John Harris, Kyle Rote. Uh, I think that's that's ones we said we definitely want to come back and talk about. I mm -hmm. don't know if I missed any there. I think the other ones we said we didn't think uh, would quite make the list. Yeah. Well, I might go ahead and, and suggest Kyle wrote not only for what he did on the field, which is pretty superlative, but uh, also his activity in forming the players union or players yeah. association. I, I definitely agree with that. That's That's some pretty substantial stuff that he had there. And I, I really like your your punter. I like uh, Gerald Wilson. Yeah. I mean, just I was surprised the... I didn't know much about him. So, but wow, what a career. What a long career. Yeah, especially when um, you have, a, was it Hank Stram you said was, you know, talking yeah, him up yeah. pretty well, best punter you ever saw? That, that sounded like some pretty good numbers there. So I think uh, he would take our seventh spot, if that's okay with you. And, uh, then we have a bunch that gets tougher here for these last three positions. It does, yeah. 
Uh, so let me refresh our names here. John Harris, uh, John David Crow, Pete Reslaff, Bruce Taylor. And that's, that's ones we have left. So it's four, four names that we said to have left unless, mm. uh, cause I don't think, uh, like Chuck Foreman, I don't think he had quite the numbers that we yeah. were looking for. And, uh, Robert Newhouse, I don't think had quite the numbers. Brad, Ramad Bradshaw didn't really have those numbers. Um, unless maybe I'm wrong or maybe. Yeah. Well, I do like John David Crow. Of course, again, I'm being prejudiced. Um, well, he had a Heisman trophy. He <laughs> yeah. So and he I, wore 44 for 11 years. Okay. You, you talked me into, you convinced me. He's, <laughs> he's a, he's a football player. If, if Bear Bryant spoke that highly of him, then he's he had to be good. All right, so that is eight names, and I think uh, was a Bruce Taylor had some interesting tidbits, if I remember correctly. Let me look at him again. Yeah, he had uh, those return yards that made him uh, particularly attractive as a player. Maybe he's not who I'm thinking of, though. Um, maybe it was, uh, John Harris. Maybe that's who I'm thinking of. There's one you, I should have made a better note of it. You, uh, said something and really caught my, my ears a little bit. Oh, on Bruce Taylor. Uh, I'm sorry, John, John Harris. He had the 50 interceptions. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's pretty deserving of a spot if that's okay with you. That would be good. Yes. Okay. So that's our ninth. And I'll let you. Uh, Boy, I'm a. There's a couple out. here. I like Pete Rutzlaff. I like Robert Newhouse for a top 10. Um, oh, Roy okay. Kelly made six Pro Bowls, but a very short career. And uh, Dick LeBeau, 62 interceptions. Well, we we have LeBeau and uh, Leroy Kelly on oh, there already. I'm sorry. Yes, we do. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes, we yes. have. We they we put them on already. Those okay. Hall of Famers that had the the years. Uh, let's see, yeah, I mean, Rhett, Rhett's laugh, I think, yeah, bring up a good point there. You want to go with Retzlaff as our tenth? Yeah, I like Retzlaff. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll go with uh, Pete Retzlaff as our tenth. So let's uh, let me call them off again here. So we have uh, Pete Retzlaff, uh, John David Crow, John Harris, Kyle Rote, uh. Leroy Kelly, Bobby Dillon, Floyd Little, Dick LeBeau, John Riggins, and I'm missing somebody here. Uh, uh, Jarrell Wilson? Jarrell Wilson, yep, yes. Okay. So those are our top 10 greatest number 44s that we came up with tonight. Well, that was that was probably one of the tougher ones that you and I did together. Yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, they fun, but uh, it was so tough I got confused as to who was in the Hall of Fame and who was on our top 10. Uh, that, <laughs> That shows how prestigious our top 10 list is. That's right. We had some tough critiquing to make that top 10 tonight. That's for sure. But you, once again, you had some great stories on some of these players that uh, I don't, I know I learned quite a bit tonight, just uh, listening to you from your, your research. So great uh, job once again. Thank um, you. Thank you. Uh, speaking of research, uh, what do you have coming up on the, uh, when football was football podcast that we can look forward to? 
Well, our next podcast is going to talk about a group of friends from the south side of Chicago who were Cardinals fans. And when the Cardinals traveled up to the north side to play the Bears on, in 1951, all the Bears needed really was a win to win the conference championship. The Cardinals were at the bottom. And the Cardinals pulled off a major upset. But these fans pulled off something else, which is what we're going to talk about in our podcast, which shows what great true fans the Chicago Cardinals had. And the worst part about it was the temperature was 12 below zero before game time. And, uh, <laughs> these guys went out there. One of them had lost his legs in Okinawa and uh, was in a wheelchair. But that's kind of how our story starts. And then how it ends is, is kind of fun, to, this tale of the Cardinals. And then after that, we're going to talk about the first pro football game played by Ernie Nevers. We've talked about Ernie a lot over the years, the great Duluth Eskimo and Chicago Cardinal, but his introduction to the world of pro football was kind of a roundabout way, and it wasn't with an NFL team. And and so uh, we've tracked that down to see what Nevers got paid and who he played with. And it was a very short career, and it could have been the last time he ever played pro football, but things turned around for them later. So th- th- those are the ones that are coming up the next uh, next month or so. Well, that was a good segue because he was on our number 44 list of Hall of Famers too. But that's right, yeah. To talk about, so. Wow, and and see, that was a great restraint on my part because I said, oh yeah, Nevers, this is great, but oh, only wore number 44 for one year. So <laughs> we had to kind of look at other folks. <laughs> and I think that's deservedly so. I think that was a good idea because there's some some of those guys that wore that 44 did a lot more substantial things in their time uh, wearing that than the, the, the hall of famers are only wore it for a season or two. So I think that was a good choice. Well, my friend, I, I thank you very much for uh, spending time with us and uh, doing all that digging and all that great history that you shared with us once again. <laughs> and uh, I know we have you uh, for some more numbers coming up here again. I think you have one in later in the number forties. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think you have number 49 you're signed up for. All so, right. So that won't, that's right around the corner. So we'll look forward to speaking with you again soon. That will be great, Darren. Again, thank you for the opportunity to share a little bit of football history. And we promise we'll do our best to find some really obscure facts that no one else could hear except on this wonderful show. You are the master of that, you know, finding the largest thighs, a uh, guy that went through the most shoes, uh, all kinds of great things we learned tonight. And so thank you very much, Joe. Uh, you are welcome. Thank you. We look forward to doing it again. Okay. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.
It was just another ordinary day in the offices of the Pittsburgh Guardian newspaper circa 1924. But for Marla Delft, assistant editor, everything was about to change. For she was about to discover the awesome attractiveness of Row 1 brand retro sports paraphernalia items thanks to Orville Mulligan, sports writer. And there it is. Wow, Orville, that's really the bee's knees. Isn't it just? A poster-sized replica of the actual 1909 World Series program cover. I can see that. But where did you get it? And where'd you get it framed? I ordered it from the Row 1 website, where over 6,000 items of sports memorabilia from the 1880s to the 1990s are available for reproduction, in multiple sizes and in several different materials, with over a dozen styles of frame to choose from for prints like this. Well, I'm sure Mr. Delft would love to put up more of these in the office. But I'm equally as sure they're beyond this newspaper's budget. <laughs> Not at all, my dear Marla. See for yourself. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. Sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. Oh my, these are good prices. Oh, and look at this stuff. Oklahoma, Nebraska football. College basketball art. Michael Jordan items. And so Retro it was that Marla Delft discovered the spondiferous magic of Row 1 Sports Memorabilia Arts and Prints. You can, too, by visiting sportshistorynetwork.com slash row1. That's R-O-W number one today for access to the full Row 1 catalog of gallery prints and gifts like t-shirts, long-sleeve shirts, telephone cases, coffee mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Act today for a 15% discount off all prints with coupon code SHN15 and 20% off all other items with coupon code SHN20 at checkout. And keep your dial locked to the Sports History Network for the exciting chronicles of the 1920 sports world in Orville Mulligan, Sports Writer. Coming soon. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.